So Trevor is, uh, is from South Trevor and Sharon are from South, South Africa. And uh, now a lot of people will know that in South Africa there existed something called apartheid, uh, which was the enforced uh, separation between uh, blacks and whites, uh, an absolute uh, scourge, uh, an evil to, to, to have such a system. And so what was it like to have growing up under apartheid? Uh, I made a few notes so they don't go on for the next three hours. Uh, and I put down, it was um, something to do with the good, the bad, and the horrible afterwards. Because in terms of the good, uh, we had a wonderful life as children uh, with our grandparents across the world, aunts and uncles, and lots of friends, and so on. And, uh, and afterwards, uh, that seemed to change. And then we began feeling uh, bars of apartheid. Because in my first, at least eight or ten years of life, we lived in the street where there were people from many uh, different ethnic backgrounds. So that was part of the old South Africa, uh, of the new one. And I think it comes into probably uh, the next thing that I, I, I might need to say. Um, when we were moved into the separate areas that we did. What, what did that, how old were you when you started getting moved into separate areas? I think, uh, I about eight, eight, nine years of age. Do you remember what, what, that, what that felt like at that time? Or? Yeah, that's part of the ironies why I said group, uh, because uh, our first eight years of life, we lived in a stable. I wasn't born in the same. We lived in the stable, uh, which was like a granny flat, back of property, within walking distance from the city centre. Um, and uh, so one day, these very nice people turned up and uh, we heard that we were going to have a proper home, a proper house, with bedrooms, bathroom, kitchen, toilet, and so on. And of course, the um, no charge truck came to move us, but that was actually moving us to an area that was set aside for mixed race people. So the whole apartment thing was applied very subtly. They did us a great favor and we were very happy until we discovered afterwards what was really happening. So quite, it's really quite stealthy in a way. Yes. And, and how did it feel uh, growing up in, in uh, under apartheid in the choice? Well, again, probably later in life when we moved back, we discovered uh, or thought about all the things that we were not allowed to do. Uh, but because, again, it was so suddenly applied and it was part of the law, the way you grew up, you always just accepted that's what it's like or what's like, and you didn't give it any second or even third thoughts. Uh, but it's only as you got older, and certainly once we left South Africa for a short while, 12 months we were in the US and went back, then we began to see certain things we were aware of. So in some ways, it seemed to be a good life, but in other ways, when we discovered um, what we weren't allowed to do, the sort of education that we wanted, uh, the fields that we wanted to study in, that we couldn't get into. When 
once we began to see that, uh, then that started emerging in many ways, psychologically and physically, and many men, especially, took to drink and so on, from my racial background, because of the frustration. And um, how, how um, did your faith, um, you know, did your faith help you in that situation? What were your faith coming to? I think, once again, um, almost in a sort of a subconscious manner because uh, we were always church people. My grandfather in the 1940s was a warden and so on, and the church warden. My grandmother was founding a foundation member of the MU. So church was just part of our life. I don't think we even thought of it as faith. It was just something we did. So, you know, Sunday schooling, you know, Sunday afternoons, Church three, four times uh, a week. Uh, family and friends all at church having what we thought was this wonderful life. Uh, but a lot of it did revolve around church. In fact, uh, again, I discovered recently that the first school we went to was started by the Congregational Church. Uh, so there again, uh, church was a very full part of our life, most of which we were not aware the faith and family life and community is all kind of uh, together, together, melding together. Yes. And what role did the church play in bringing an end to apartheid? Well, as people probably know, those who don't know, Archbishop Desmond Tutu and uh, those sorts of people played a huge part in But uh, someone else told me this one that. Uh, when the Anglican Church at one time was having a go with the South African government, they evidently said to the church, you put your house in order first. So, uh, after that, well, here's another example. An older friend, I think he's in his mid-80s now, um, retired school headmaster, but Anglican priest, said to me that when he first offered himself, this is the early 1950s, when he offered uh, himself a priesthood, he was told uh, priests come from England. They are no, no African or whatever priest, they come from England. But later on, he was ordained. And in terms of putting their own house in order, uh, we would have uh, big mass ordination services, but we would go into the what we call the African tribal countries, which by law you were not allowed to go into. But I think the law sort of turned a blind eye and death again when those things started happening. And um, uh, even the theological college I went to used to be a whites-only college, the Anglican Church. Uh, but then, by the time I went, uh, the laws were still on the roof, the apartheid laws, but we were allowed to go there. And I can remember the warden, as they called him, uh, was always very anxious when there was a visit from the Department of Community Development because there were all these people from different racial backgrounds in the same theological college. So the church did its part there. Uh, but also, the church that I belonged to, myself and Sharon, and her dad was the priest in St. Michael and Angels, um, that was one of the churches where they had an amazing outpouring of the Holy Spirit. And after that, 
the racial separation seemed to have become even more relaxed. So the church had a huge power. That's just wanting the heads of the church in the first instance as um, flouting the apartheid laws as a form of protest and saying this is not, you know, this law may exist in the country, but this is not what we're about as a church. And then an outpour of the Holy Spirit and that increased even more. That's very exciting to hear that. And what's the situation in South Africa now? Uh, that's uh, another mixed band because what we pick up from our families and so on is that uh, even though things have changed for the good, in former years, um, a certain ethnic group was favored by law. Today, it's the other, the other way around. It's again a matter of a certain ethnic group being favored uh, by the law. Because in those days, they have a policy of job reservations. Now it's called affirmative action. That's uh, on the negative side. On the positive side, even though there are many shanty towns, uh, the government has had this big push to build proper housing. And also, if I could brag with my very, I think in Australia we call it a high risk shirt. Uh, <laughs> but in my childhood days, and even up to 20 years ago, shirts like this, not only were they not available, but even if you had them, you could not wear them. Now, maybe probably more in Trevor wears one. And the amazing thing about that, of course, it's not only part of the New South Africa, I see someone from Zimbabwe wearing a skirt that has similar patterns. Genuine African made in Thailand. We still need to keep praying for South Africa. I hope, as we hear these things this morning, you take them away as people pray for and countries and nations pray for. Progress has been made in South Africa, but still a lot, a lot to about. Yes, uh, in fact, I sent an email to a friend who is now rector or parish priest of East St. Michael, or Lenin, and that's a bit of a story. But she used to be Muslim. Jofra, I think pronounce Jofra as a name, and married to a friend of ours who wanted to become an Anglican priest, but he didn't make it, she made it, and uh, she wrote this to me. Please pray for revival among Christians and in church communities so that there are effective witnesses in our communities, for church leaders to lead their people with integrity, also for the church to be a sober voice, to continue putting pressure on government, local and national, to effect change. So, lots of change still needed. Can we, can we say amen? Amen. Amen. amen? amen. Trevor, thank you so much.